<laughs> hey everyone, welcome to another edition of All Protein Weekly Live. I'm Sonali Figueres, your co-host, along with Steve Molino. Hey, Steve. Hey, Sonali. What's going on? Well, you know, it's been it's been a busy news week. Um, I feel like we're really back into the swing of la the last quarter of the year has started, and I feel like everyone's just back at work, and there's so much going on. Um, so, you know, for a journalist and editor, it's it's exciting. No, that's good. That's great. And I agree. It seems like a lot of stuff is going on. Yeah. Any, any, anything to report back on? Have you tasted anything specifically amazing? Um, nothing new to report on, on the taste side. I mean, I, I, to, to be fully honest, I've been eating meaty products. So, uh, by the biomass fermentation company that they're, they're selling in whole foods now, and I have a whole foods right near me. So I get it all the time time it's it's i like the chicken ones the most but it's become part of my my uh i, I don't want to say daily staple but it's it's I, I i love those products but uh, i'll throw that out there but for for me i i think i mentioned this to you a little bit earlier um i've been digging into a, a really new potential a really new potential because this is not a podcast it's about what i'm diligencing <laughs> um but it's fun when you as an investor when you find something that you're really excited about uh we, we see so many companies a year and we we have to pass on on the majority of them right so when you find something you're excited about it just it gets it gets me going so it's been a fun fun couple couple weeks on this one that's exciting so it sounds like we're both really enjoying work excellent um meaty has some big news coming out today so um, I'll save that for next week, but that's, that's exciting. Yeah. We still oh don't. My God. You're always, you're so in the know. <laughs> I don't even know what you're talking about. <laughs> well, I mean, if I wasn't, I'd really not be very good at my job. So that's fair. That's fair. <laughs> um, we, so our big story today is uh, the French company Umiyami Meats. Uh, as we called them, the plant-based poulet. So they do whole cut chicken uh, that's plant-based. And um, in good news for the industry, they raised another um, 34 million US, 32 million euros. This is, this is an extension of their earlier 30 million Series A. So that brings them to over 60 million for the Series A and actually over 100 million total um, in, in fundraising, which is a, you know, it's a big, a big threshold for a French, uh, plant-based meat company and for a European plant-based meat company, they're only three years old. Um, so what's notable about the round is that it was partly equity and partly non-dilutive funding by the French government via a couple of different avenues, but especially, especially BPI France. So BPI France is, uh, stands for Banque Publique d'Investissement, and it's essentially the French government's uh, investment bank. And um, BPI France has been really, really dedicated to growing the French tech ecosystem, and we call it La French Tech. And there are outposts all over the world, including here in Hong Kong and in China and across Asia. And essentially, what's fantastic about the system is that you raise and they match in a lot of the cases. 
Um, and, you know, I've been very vocal and I've got a piece coming out about this, about the importance of rethinking how we fund food companies, because food companies play such an important role in society. And they are not just your, you know, uh, you know, a handbag company or, you know, even, you know, a packaging company and food is just so essential. And so we need different ways for companies to raise. And especially right now when so many startups, you and I have talked about it a lot, Stephen, we, you know, we know that startups are are closing down, you know, startups are going bankrupt, startups are getting acquired, not at the best, on the best terms, because there's just such a lack of funding right now in future food and food tech, because investors have kind of mo moved away from the space after the hype has come down. And it's it's a bit of a problem because a lot of these solutions we we absolutely need them. Um, the food system requires some big solutions to move into a new adaptive phase amidst a climate crisis, and we need to rethink how we fund them. And so these kind of partly public, partly private setups are excellent, and we need to see more of it. Yeah, this is this is really interesting, and I. I think like first off, like congrats to the to the Umiyami team for being able to to close a, a, a additional fundraising round like this, make so much of it be non dilutive. Like that's that's very hard to do and very impressive, um, and incredibly important to have a lot of it be non dilutive because I mean there's a lot of capex involved with the, the scale up of these types of businesses, so that's going to be really really helpful for them long term, um, and. And I think that um, it, it's 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 good to see something like this at this time. We've had a, a, a pretty bumpy road for the alt protein or plant-based space for the past year, year and a half, not a lot of large raises. Um, and while a big raise isn't doesn't mean success on its own, right? Like just raising the money, great, you, but now you need to do something with it. While it doesn't mean success on its own, it's still a sign of overall interest in the space interest in pushing the food system towards something that's more sustainable. So it's, it really is, it's a, it's a good thing to have something like this occur. Um, and I can tell you firsthand, I I've spoken with the team at Umiyami a handful of times over, over the past. They're a very young and mission driven, hungry team to make positive change. They're very impressive. So I'm, I'm happy for them and I'm excited to see what they'll, they'll do with this. Now it's time to execute on the money that they've 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 raised and um, and get this I guess scaled up and then also into the mouths of consumers. So this will be uh, interesting to see. But this is it's it's a it's a good it's a good one. Absolutely, and and you know the French are eating more chicken than ever. Um, chicken has a very high quality level in France. In fact, France has I think one of the most famous gastronomic chickens in the world, the, the poulet de Bresse, which is considered, you know, the best chicken. I mean, even restaurants here will import it and put it on their menu. I mean, if you're into obviously eating, eating animals, but so it, it's interesting that the company has really spent a lot of time developing its whole cut um, meat technology. And a lot of the whole cut meat uh, startup news has really been around steak and beef. So it's, and or, or it's been mycelium led like a meaty, right? But this is mm -hmm. really a plant-based whole cut chicken. So it's 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 interesting. It, it's interesting. It's there's yeah. not that many players in the space. I think the uh, vegetarian butchers Unilever came out with a couple of chicken fillets for retail and for food service. 
Um, but that's about it. There's not that many. Yeah. No, it's it's that's that's a great point. It is a, a relatively like it's a white space right now for for the industry. And I think to your point about it being focused on chicken versus versus steak, um, there's a lot of arguments that can be made that that might be a, an easier approach. Where um, I, I like Mikal Klar, who's another investor in the space, he put a post up recently about the different types of whole cut steaks mm. that he's tried and what he yeah. thinks and 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 if it, if they're going to be successful or how. How closely to animal products do they need to be to get people to buy them? And and there's there's arguments that can be made around this that a steak is eaten in infrequently. It's a luxury product, so it's going to be harder to get people to not have that when they're in the mood to really indulge in something. Whereas a, a, a chicken breast that like Umiyami is creating, that's eaten a lot more frequently. It's not really thought of as a as an indulgence luxury product, it's more of a daily staple for, for a lot of people. So making that, that switch to a plant-based one, there's, there's more, there's more opportunities to do it, right. Cause it's a more frequently consumed uh, piece of meat. So um, again, we will see, we have to see what's going to happen with all these. There's a chance that the stakes are successful and that all of this is successful or they're, they're both, they both don't work. We have, we have no idea yet, but um, it's great to see that there's going to be an opportunity to, to uh, test this out and really see a company uh, try to be successful with this approach. Yeah, absolutely. And yeah, it's it's great to see some bigger rounds in the space. There were a couple this week, so it was it, it was good to see. Um, so what else is on your mind? What stood out to you? Well, one that caught my eye was around JBS. So. For, for people that haven't seen this already, basically uh, we have it in here, the Brazilian meat giant JBS, they broke ground on their $62 million cultivated meat R&D facility. Uh, it'll open sometime at the end of next year. And they said that at full production, it can produce a thousand tons of cultivated meat annually. And they have the potential to, to produce a lot more than that. The reason this is what I wanted to bring up this week is because I've actually seen some people post about this online, whether it's LinkedIn or Twitter, and and they're basically taking this approach of saying, well, the, a lot of people are saying cultivated is dead. And then JBS says, well, like, here, drop the mic. And they, and, and they look at us creating the $62 million cultivated meat facility. So everyone's wrong. Cultivated is not dead. And um, one of the biggest meat producers in the world is actually all in on it. And while that's a nice idea, I, I just blatantly disagree with that mentality. And the reason being is that $62 million for JBS is absolutely nothing. It's absolutely nothing. And what I mean to put that into context, JBS last year has had revenues of around 65 billion with a B, $65 billion. So a $62 million investment in a cultivated meat facility is 0.1% of last year's revenue. That's nothing. That's the same as if someone said, hey, I'm buying lunch today and I'm spending five bucks, 10 bucks on it. No one would even think twice. And then they would just go about their day um, happily. It's not, it's not unusual. So I kind of see the, the, the facility being created as sure, it's a good thing to, that more research will be done and hopefully something good will be will come out of it. But at this point, I, I'm not even convinced that it's anything more than just 
a, a, an approach to greenwash their company and say, look, we're trying to create a sustainable food system um, because it's not a big effort for them. It's, it's not, it, this is menial for, for this company. Um, and, and also later in, in the newsletter, in the quick bites, we saw something that Cargill is creating a protein innovation hub. That's, that's 50 million Euro. Again, I'd rather have that happen than not, but for them, 50 million is 0.03% of their $165 billion of revenue. So, um, I, again, I, I don't like to be the cynical person, but I like to be focused on realism and I want people to keep perspective in mind with all of this. So that's, that's, that is what caught my eye. And I guess not the happiest, happiest thing for me to bring up. So essentially what you're saying is JBS's new uh, investment is akin to the tech billionaires and how much they give to charity. Yeah. Yeah, of course. That's a great way <laughs> to put it. I mean, if I was a billionaire and I donated a million bucks to something like it's for the tax write-off, like that's why I, that's why I would do it. Right. That's why all those guys are doing it. So um, it's the same thing. That's such a great comparison. <laughs> Oh, JBS. Um, in in our P in our coverage, we actually also did kind of an overview of all the different companies and um that had uh scalable facilities for cultivated meat. So anyone looking to get kind of a a broader view of what's going on there, it's it's definitely worth a bookmark for that. Um, because you know it, it's cultivated meat is still a young industry, and there's there's not that many facilities at scale. And, you know, there's even controversy over some of the facilities and who's using what for, for making what. So um, I think it's an interesting signal. JBS being, you know, this incredibly controversial, incredibly large, big meat player. Um, but as you say, it's, it's peanuts for them to be in the game. Their yeah, cost it really is. is a movie ticket, it, you know, just to be able to like watch the show and see what does well. Yeah, exactly. And again, I'd rather have it happen than not, but I'm not really too, too excited by it, to be honest. Um, but what about you? Hopefully, what, what caught your eye? Hopefully it's something that is making you excited and not cynical like me. Well, it's a double excitement. So we have had to, so in our newsletter, normally we have a section that we introduced almost a year ago called Quick Bites which was meant to be a quick way to catch up on everything going on in the space that isn't going to be enough for a whole article um, because there's just so much going on. So obviously part of my job is to curate what we spend reporting time on and what we delve deeper into. And, you know, we can't write every story and we're definitely not a newswire. So the idea was to curate you know, all that news into a section, but the newsletter was just getting too long and we had too much news, which is a great thing. And so we've turned it into a weekly column on the website called Future Food Quick Bites. So it's it's going to be similar content. It's just going to be in the, in, in, on the website. And so you're going to, we're going to link to it from the website, but there's still plenty of news. And I have to say, my favorite news of the week um, is that it turns out that Lint, the gigantic chocolate company, is now making a plant-based, dairy-free, vegan-friendly version from oat milk of their really popular Lindor truffles. So I don't know about you guys, but like in my lifetime, I've eaten a lot of Lindor truffles. And <laughs> while it was exciting that Lint had brought out some bars, 
the truffles is really exciting. So it's very limited release in the U.S. People have spotted it at Safeways. There hasn't been a big media announcement. So this was an Instagram find. And I was actually I was actually given the shout out from Jenny Stojkovich from Vegan Women Summit. She she mentioned it to me. And I had to immediately rush and look into it. And our reporter, Anae, also like the world stopped for him as well because he's a Lindor lover. Something fun about Indian kids who have Indian grandparents is that in the 80s and 90s, our grandparents would always have Lind chocolate that they would buy from Duty Free on their travels and keep in their fridge. So there's like a big nostalgia element to Lind chocolate for all of us. So anyway... Now you know a lot. I mean that Indian grandparents <laughs> and my love for Lindor, which extends to the fact that they are selling eight hundred truffle bags, and I am planning to get one when I go to the states in a few weeks. Oh my god! I mean, th this is this is dangerous for the vegan community. I feel like I'm. I'm I'm terrified that if I see one of these bags, I won't be able to stop myself from getting them. I haven't, there's something just totally, to your point, totally different about the, the lint truffles versus like traditional chocolate. They're just on a different level. I, I, I need to try this. And, and also that's, I did not know that about Indian grandparents. It sounds like such a better, um, a better offering than what I'm used to. I like feel like the hard candies that like my grandparents or great grandparents would give me were just like nothing close to a lint truffle. So um, you guys are winning on that side. Uh, and <laughs> Okay, maybe that's, that's just, I just uh, have really, yeah. really special gra grandparents. I don't know. But I think this is so fantastic that these kind of, la you know, these kind of really, I don't want to say landmark, but these kind of just really, really big, you know, the products that you see at 7-Eleven. I mean, even here in Hong Kong, you know, Lindor truffles are sold at 7-Eleven. Every supermarket has them. Every duty-free airport store in the world has them. I mean, they're just, they're they're a staple, um, you know, kind of affordable luxury chocolate. And to, to know that they're committing to making, by the way, they're making a milk version and a dark chocolate version from oat milk. Um, it's just fascinating. It's also fascinating that most of the popular alt chocolates that are the vegan version of, of chocolate, they use oat milk. Like all the big brands, I mean, it, it's, it's always a mix of oat milk and maybe some soy powder, some soy lecithin and maybe some rice, rice milk. But oat seems to be the dominant kind of way to get the creaminess for a lot of the big chocolate companies when they're doing a vegan version, which I find quite interesting. Yeah, I mean, oats, oats have just like a generally good, like a positive reception from consumers, at least in the U.S. So uh, where there, there are some things with that are some negative connotations of, like tied to, to soy and, and things of that, like that are up there, like soy, pea, all that. So I think oat is just, even from a consumer perception standpoint, a good way to go. But I, I, I wonder, I, I, I've seen some inner workings of these bigger companies and I, I have to imagine that oats are just the better functional offering. Cause I know they test the hell out of every potential offering or potential ingredient. So um, I guess oats are just really good for that stuff, but I'm, I'm so 
excited about this one. I got I got to get my hands on them for sure. You really do. So Safeway and apparently somebody spotted a couple of packs at CVS. So yeah, I'm expecting I'm expecting a review soon, Steve. Okay, I will I'll check it out and at some point I'm expecting to hear hear a sighting of of Sonali with an 800 piece bag <laughs> at a, at a, at a, on a park bench just going well, to town on them. I'll tell you what's going to happen. You're going to read a headline that says strange lady passes out on airplane after eating too many vegan Lindor drugs. <laughs> oh my God. Blood sugar through the roof. <laughs> I know, right? Um, so what else? What else do we, what, what else did you use, stood out for you this week in the news? Yeah, so I mean, the thing, yeah, the, the 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 positive thing that I, we always try to end with a positive. I, the the one that I see as a positive is it, that Impossible Foods they partnered with IHOP on a range of menu items at the seventeen hundred plus locations in the U.S. Um, for anyone who's not familiar with IHOP, um, if they're not from the U.S., it is quintessential American um, fast food diner. So they're all over the place. There's pancakes, there's traditional breakfast offerings, and um, it's cheap. It tastes unbelievable. Everything there is just like, <laughs> it's what you would expect at, a, at an American uh, diner type location. So it's, it's cool to see Impossible Foods has entered. But the reason why I thought this was really interesting uh, and a positive is really just the fact that in, one, in the story that you guys wrote about, which is, is, is a great story, I, I didn't realize that apparently there's only 15% um, consumer awareness of impossible foods within U.S. consumer households. So only 15% of consumers even know about impossible foods. That's crazy low in my mind. And that gives me this feeling of, of, of hope around the upside of if they can create really good marketing campaigns to, to increase consumer awareness, then um, there's still so much potential for them. Uh, in, in the U.S. And I'd imagine it's just as low, if not lower, globally. Um, so that was something that made me a little excited because we were in this, this this bubble world, right? Like you and I and some of the others in the space, all we do is talk about this. So it feels like everyone's talking about Impossible or Beyond or, or any of the other companies in the different verticals. And the reality is no one is. No one's talking about this. And then apparently 85% of people don't even know about impossible foods and that's a good thing for the upside. So I'm excited by that. Um, and then, and then you were even sharing with me this idea that impossible is doing really well in, in food service. Um, and, and like, can you like share your thoughts on that? Because I, I'd be, I'd be curious to hear again, like how you're thinking about that and why that's such a positive. So first of all, what do you mean people are not thinking and talking about impossible foods all day? I, I don't, I, I it doesn't compute. No. <laughs> what? That doesn't make sense. <laughs> no. Um, yeah. So first of all, the, just going, I'll come back to your question in a second, but going back to the 15%, um, I do want to credit that. That is a quote from the impossible food CEO, Peter McGinnis. He originally mentioned that in a really good time interview that he did a few months ago. And then he brought it up again when he spoke to Elaine Watson at AgFunder, who did a great video interview with him uh, last month that I recommend people watch. I, I believe we 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 linked to it in the piece. Um, 
are so obviously impossible came out with this news that they were launching it you know this you know ihop which is just so quintessentially american diner uh on every highway families pretty much every american families had pancakes at ihop i assume right it stands for international house of pancakes i remember when i was a kid i was really jealous that we didn't have an ihop where i lived um but it's kind of funny that you say that though, because like international house, but you didn't have one near you. So it's basically just in the US. I, know but... the US thing. <laughs> I mean, the whole idea of a diner is just such a quintessentially American thing. And like across the world, there are American style diners. We even have a vegan restaurant here that's a Californian diner. Um, that's the decor. That's amazing. So, yeah. So diners are special. Um so what what we did in our piece um, beyond just covering the launch, which is exciting, is that we looked at Impossible Foods track record for food service um, partnerships. And the, the company is really unique um, in many ways uh, across the plant-based space in that they have really managed to build incredibly successful multi-year food service partnerships with large chains and names. So they've just celebrated five years of their partnership with White Castle, the fast food chain. They've just celebrated four years with the bur of the Burger King Impossible Whopper partnership. They have, I think they're on their third or fourth year at Starbucks for the breakfast sandwich. Um, so for me, this is a company that, you know, does food service really well. Um, has repeat business, keeps its food service clients really happy. This is not only a sign of a, a well-run company and a, and a good, a good, you know, good business, but it's also a really good signal to the market. Um, because unfortunately, some of the other players in the space have not had such successful kind of long runs. But I mean, if you think about it, this is a company that launched, Impossible Foods launched in 2011. So they're just they're, they're 12 years old and they've had a five-year partnership with a major fast food chain and it, it's not going anywhere. Um, I, and it, and they have multiple of these. So there's, you know, all signs point to the fact that the one, the partnership with IHOP is going to be, um, successful too. And, and interestingly enough, IHOP didn't just pick them up for breakfast. They are, they've, they've got one dish, a couple dishes for breakfast, I think, and a couple dishes for the all day menu. So I think they're they're doing something right. It's a really positive sign to the market. It's also a really positive sign to to consumers that you know plant based is something you can trust, rather than what we've seen happening a lot, which is you know launch one week and then and then suddenly it's not available anymore. Which it's just not a good signal for the sector. So yeah, I mean that that's such interesting information to, to hear and i'm so happy that you you just mentioned all that because it's it's after after a while i i i've even gotten tired with hearing uh the the big announcements from companies saying they're in uh, however many new retail locations or however many new food service locations because i care a lot less about just the pure expansion um, and I care a lot more about the expansion and staying expanded, being able to stay on the menus or stay on retail shelves, because that that's what's going to indicate if things are selling, if people are buying it. And and for Impossible specifically, all of the food service locations that you mentioned, those are not 
frequent stops for vegans and vegetarians like IHOP and Burger King and White Castle, especially like these are as mainstream fast food as it gets. And people are going there just to just to eat. They're not they're not going there for for a good vegan and vegetarian uh, experience. So if Impossible has been able to stay on these menus for four or five years, uh, clearly it's their offerings are resonating with mainstream consumers that are almost definitely uh, meat eaters. Uh, and that's good. I, I, I would love to see data on that. How many of them are meat eaters? How many do they think there are? That's really what matters the most. But um, it's, I just can't imagine that they're able to stay on these menus that long, only surviving off of sales to the few vegans and vegetarians that go to these locations. So uh, it's, this is, this is a great one. This is really, really good. And it, it always ties in with our favorite topic, which is the nudging that needs to happen for, for, you know, animal free foods to become normalized. And I think impossible at IHOP is absolutely a nudge that, you know, the world needs. Absolutely. Yeah, I no, totally agree. No arguments from people about, oh, processed and unhealthy. People aren't going to IHOP for kale salads, folks. So not not listening to that. Yeah, I mean, I I that's the that's a, such an important point. IHOP is disgusting in the best way possible. <laughs> I don't know if that Sorry, makes IHOP, sense, if you're but listening. Like, I haven't been to one. Yeah, I, I mean, I haven't been to one in a very long time, but like you say IHOP and I just think like the the tastiest food ever and you know it's horrible for you you, you know that you are not you're not doing your body a favor and you don't care because it's just so good so um no one there is going to be like w looking at their menu and say wait impossible foods is that an ultra processed food like that's just not I, I'm actually gonna go out on a limb wild. here Steve and say impossible foods might be one of the healthiest things on the menu with the fiber and the protein. Uh, Hello, bioavailability of nutrients. Yeah. <laughs> All right. Mike That's Dumont. a great no, point. It is. <laughs> <laughs> no, but this is, uh, yeah, I, I, I love it. I, I still don't know that I'm going to IHOP anytime soon, but that's just me. Um, but well, that's, I, this, you is, need to this go is a, on a good one. Trip. So, yeah. I do. I do. <laughs> <laughs> well that that about wraps up another episode we'll be back next week folks with more fun excellent news in the future food world um thanks for listening and don't forget to subscribe we're on apple Podcasts, we're on google we're on spotify wherever you listen to your favorite shows we're there make sure to give us a follow see you next week <laughs>